Hi, good evening, everybody. So it's quite exciting, isn't it, going through the Bible? Are you all enjoying doing the book by book? Are you finding that actually it's really helping you to engage with the Bible more at all? Is it? Because one thing about doing this book by book, and it really helps us to see how all the individual books actually come together and build one big picture. And quite often when we read a book, we know we, we, we get little stories from it and we get little things from it and, you know, and themes from it and emphasis from it. But actually when we put it all together, we see something absolutely amazing. And so reading our Bibles is actually really, really good. It's really good for us. It's really good for our knowledge. It's really good for our relationship with God to be able to understand what the plan and purpose it is for our life. Reading all of the Bible and seeing all of the Bible as one big picture helps us to see actually God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. And so getting into the Bible, loving the Bible and you know, and just um, going through it regularly all the time just helps us to just to build on that, that that God is wanting to do in our lives. And and so tonight I'm going to be speaking on one and two chronicles, um, which will be great. So before I start doing that, I'm going to let you watch the video. The books of First and Second Chronicles. While there are two separate books in our Bibles, that division is not original. Due to scroll length, the book was divided in two, but it was written as one book with one coherent storyline. Now, in our English Bibles, Chronicles comes after the books of Samuel and Kings, and most of Chronicles is actually repeat content from those books. And so most modern readers, when they come to Chronicles, they think, wait a minute, I just read all of this, and so they skip it. And that's a shame, because this book is really unique and important in the Bible. In the traditional Jewish ordering of the Bible, Chronicles is actually the last book because it summarizes all of the Jewish scriptures. The first word in the book is Adam, the first character at the beginning of the story, and then the last paragraph announces the return of Israel from exile. Now, we don't know who wrote this book, but we can tell from details within it, it was produced by somebody who lived a couple hundred years after the Israelites returned from the Babylonian exile. Now, for this author, Jerusalem and the temple were rebuilt some time ago, and as we learned from Ezra and Nehemiah, things were not going well. The great prophetic hope was that the city and the temple would be rebuilt, that God would come to live among his people, the messianic king would come, and all the nations would come live under his peaceful rule, and none of that has happened. And so the author of Chronicles has reshaped these stories of David and Solomon and the kings of the past in order to provide a message of hope for the future. And we'll see that he's designed this book to emphasize two clear themes. First, the hope of the coming messianic king, and second, the hope for a new temple. Let's just dive in and you'll see these themes all over the book. First Chronicles begins with nine chapters of genealogies, long lists of names. And you'll read these and think that this is kind of boring, and that may be true for you, but actually they're very, very important. The author is summarizing here the whole storyline of the Old Testament by naming all of the key characters in the stories. And as he does so, he shapes the genealogies to emphasize two key lineages. First is the line of the promised messianic king. So lots of space is dedicated to tracing the line of Judah that led all the way to King David, to whom the messianic promise was given. And then from David, the author traces that line up into his own day. 
The other family line that receives lots of attention here is that of the priesthood, the descendants of Aaron, who of course served in the temple. And so right from the start, you can see the two main themes, the author's hope of the Messiah coming to build a new temple, and it's rooted in these ancient genealogies. Now after that, the author moves into the stories about David, and most of these are going to be familiar to you from the book of Samuel, but again, there's some really important differences. So first of all, the author leaves out all of the negative stories about David where he's portrayed as weak or immoral. So Saul chasing David around the desert and persecuting him, the story of David's adultery with Bathsheba and then murdering her husband, all of that is gone. And what's left are the stories that portray David as a good guy. And not only that, there's also new additional material that you won't find in the book of Samuel that shows David in a very positive light. So there's a large block of chapters where David makes preparations for the temple. He arranges resources and builders and Levites and choirs. And not only that, the author also portrays David as a Moses-like figure. God gives David plans for building the temple just as he gave plans to Moses for building the tabernacle. So why all this new material about David? The author's not trying to hide David's flaws. He knows that anybody can go read about them in the book of Samuel. Rather, he's trying to portray David as the ideal king in order to make him an image or a type of the future Messiah from the line of David. It's very similar to how Jeremiah or Ezekiel spoke of the coming Messiah as a new David. This is most clear in how the author retells the story of God's covenant promise to David in 1 Chronicles 17. When you compare this story with its parallel in 2 Samuel 7, you'll see that the author of Chronicles is highlighting that neither David nor Solomon nor any of the kings from his line were the messianic king, and that when the Messiah does come, he will be a king like David. And so for this author, these stories about David from the past are what sustain his hope for the future. After David dies, we move into 2 Chronicles, which focuses on the kings that lived in Jerusalem. And again, there's lots of overlap with 1 and 2 Kings, but there are many key differences. So the author has left out all of the stories about the kings of northern Israel so he can just focus on the line of David. And there's lots of new material about these kings from David's line. He highlights the kings that were obedient to God, and he adds new stories about how their obedience led to success and God's blessing. But he also adds new stories about kings who were unfaithful to God. They didn't follow the Torah, they led Israel to worship idols, and these kings face horrible consequences all leading up to Israel's exile, a mess of their own making. And so this whole section becomes a series of character studies where the author wants later generations of Israelites to learn from their family history and so become faithful to their God and the Torah. Now the book's conclusion is really unique too. At the very end of the book, the king of the Persians is named Cyrus, and he tells the Israelites that they can go back home, return from exile, rebuild the city and the temple. And he says, last line of the book, whoever there is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. And that's how the book ends, with an incomplete sentence. Now, of course, the author knows about the first return from exile and the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah, but clearly in his view, the prophetic hopes of Israel were not fulfilled in those events. And so this incomplete ending shows that the author's hope is set on yet another return from exile, when the Messiah will finally come to rebuild the temple and restore God's people. And so the book of Chronicles, it's the final book of the Jewish scriptures, it ends by pointing forward. It calls God's people to look back in order to look ahead, because the past has become the source of hope for the future. 
So Chronicles concludes the Old Testament as a story in search of an ending. And that's what this book is all about. Fab. Do you know, I love those videos. I'm a visual learner myself. And so when I watch these videos, it really helps me to get a real good picture of what actually the book is all about. And, and anyone can look at these on YouTube. You just go into YouTube and, and you Google not Google, go on YouTube, you do the thing where you say Bible project and whatever book you want to look at at that time, whatever book you're reading through, then it comes up and it's a brilliant video, normally about five minutes long, they're great and they just tell you loads about the story and helps you to get into it. Um, you know, I don't know how many of us here have got to Chronicles ourselves and thought, oh, I've actually read all this before and been really tempted to think, actually, I'll just skip this book and you know and I can, it can be a real temptation when you know you, you feel like sometimes reading through the Bible can be a little bit of a slog or whatever and you know but, um, but if we can resist the temptation and, and read the book it actually help we can actually see actually what is it that the the chronicler the writer of Chronicles is trying to say what is he what is he trying to do and so the, the you know, the writer of Chronicles is trying to give us a different perspective of history, you know, and so we, in, in King, 1 Kings and 2 Kings and, and Samuel, we see the story of like, of these kings and these nations and, and all the things that are going on and then we, we read about um, um, the kings in the north and the kings in the south and, you know, how the nation is divided and it flits from one king to another king and, and sometimes it can be a bit confusing if you don't actually realize it's actually two different kingdoms and you know and and you you get to um chronicles and actually what that does it actually zooms in to one kingdom it zooms in onto the southern kingdom um judah um and the reason why it does this is because um the northern kingdom um they got their king um, who wasn't from, um, whose line wasn't from Judah, wasn't from David. You know, he didn't, um, you know, he wasn't like um, a direct line to, you know, it's really important to the, the chronicle guy that when he writes this, that, um, that actually we see that, um, that the king from the Jesus, who is a direct line of David, and that's why we see this genealogy going through chronicles at the beginning because it's actually to help us see actually there's something really significant about, about Jesus coming from the line of David because, because the guy, chronicle guy, because we don't know who the author is, it could have been a woman, but the chronicle guy, you know, obviously sees the, knows the promises that actually the Messiah is going to come from the line of David, that his, his descendants is going to be on the throne forever and it's, he's going to rule with justice and righteousness. And so we see that actually it's really important that we understand why we're zooming in onto this, um, um, in this area. Um, you know, and then we see that um, in Chronicles it starts from, from Adam all the way to the end and, you know, we see how it ends with um, Cyrus, the king of Persia, who, you know, who, um, so all the Israelites, they um, are in captivity and he wants to send them back to, to say, go on, you go and build your own temple. You know, he, he's the one that say, you know, he's like the king of Babylon and he says, go back to your own place and start building your temple. And it is at this point when um, 
um, the guy from Chronicles starts writing the book. You know, all of history has happened. This book is placed right at the end of the Old Testament. You know, and even though it's placed in the Bible after um, Kings, it's actually meant to be at, right at the end after all the prophets and, and all the different things that have gone on in the Old Testament. Because it's to help us to see actually something. Um, it's trying to help us to see actually there's something significant about looking back. That actually there is a hope. There is something that, that God has been doing. God has been at work and, and we can have a hope in him. You know, when um, um, in, the, in Chronicles, he takes us to a psalm, Psalm 105. And when we look at the psalm, it, it talks about how, um, you know, God is a God of miracles. God took them out of slavery, he set them free. And, you know, and he does all these signs and wonders. And, you know, and I think when he's talking about this psalm, he's actually trying to remind us that actually, do you know what? We're, in sla- we're being in slavery again. And God is setting us free again from slavery and taking us back to the promised land. Like like he did when we were in, in Egypt and we were in slavery and he took us to the promised land and you know God is doing that again and so it's this story of actually God is doing um, you know what he did before is doing it again you know and sometimes we go through life don't we and we we go through things and we think you know um, you know and we think oh no we're going through this again and actually you know where God is speaking to our lives he can save us again he can set us free again you know what he's done before in our life there's nothing that can stop him from doing it again and we can hold on to the promises that God has got you know we can look back at the promises that God has given and remind ourselves and think God what is it that you have said to me before this thing that I'm going through the difficulty I'm going through the hardness I'm going through and yet in my past you have set me free from this and we can hold on to those promises and we can go back and so this is what um, the guy from Chronicles was trying to do to um, to the people of God and say come on we can we've got a hope we've got a future you know let's do it right this time let's go back and and build the temple and let's do it right and you know and so he starts talking about all the different kings and and how all the times when they've done it right and and what they've done to do it right and we see how the kings that have done it right are, are those that you know that have ruled righteously and with justice and and have ruled and with knowing God and a relationship with God and and with why right worship to God and when we see those kings and being described in the Bible we see actually Israel was prosperous Israel did really well people did really well you know we we can look at um we get to the story of where you know um the temple was built and Solomon starts praying and you know and the glory fills the temple and and you know and then Solomon raises his hands to God and, and he prays over the people and over the temple and he says you know if anyone comes to the temple who are you know faces the temple who are sick or in need or got disease or are facing enemies or difficulties and he talks about mildew and all sorts of different things and if people come to the temple face the temple and cry to God that God would hear hear their cries hear their prayers and answer them you know God hears our prayers you know when we turn to him when we face him when we talk to him he hears our prayers when we cry out to him and he heals us he heals us you know and this is the promise that God has got for us you know, and we, um, um, 
you know, the goodness that we experience when we come to God, the faithfulness that we experience when we come to God in our worship and in our encounter with him is so that we can be those that share that with other people. God wants to bless us. God wants to encourage us so that we can be those that can be a blessing, that can be an encouragement to others. And this is the promise that God gave to Abraham that he would bless him and in his descendants so that they, he could, so that his descendants would be able to bless all all the nations and that's God's heart for each and every one of us and so the emphasis that we read in Chronicles is about with the temple and the worship and and ruling with him with righteousness and justice and and when we live our lives like that with our focus on on Jesus our focus on worshiping him that we are blessed so that we can be a blessing we experience the things of God so that we can share that with others we are healed we are saved Saved. we are set free God sees when we are broken and hurt and he just wants us to go to him he wants us to experience him and know him you know we can see today that you know we we don't actually have to go after some far off land do we to to go to the temple to to ask God to heal us or to get rid of our mildew or whatever it is that we want to ask God for but actually you know Jesus Jesus comes and lives in our life when we ask him to do that. And that actually we can go to Jesus. Jesus replaces the temple. You know, in, um, you know, Chronicles talks about how, you know, the temple is for healing and purification and cleansing. And, um, you know, at, when we read in John 2, 19 to 22, Jesus likens himself to the temple. You know, he talks about how his body and death and resurrection is the presence of God. And that actually, you know, when we read the, the verses in, two, in two, John 2, 19 to 22, it talks about how when Jesus says, you know, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up again. You know, he's talking about how his body is the temple of God. That is the new temple. That when his body is destroyed um, on the cross, that actually um, he replaces the temple. And we see that when the curtain is torn in two, when he's being crucified, that no longer do you, are we separated by this curtain to come into the presence of God. But actually, Jesus is the new temple. He's the one that we can go to. He's the one we can raise our hands to and say, God heal me, God be with me, God help me in this time. Now I'm going to focus on a character in um, 2 Chronicles, I'm going to focus on Hezekiah. Um, so there's lots of kings in um, 2 Chronicles and, and it's great to read them and you probably get different things from different ones. And, but one thing, that, two things that you will find when you read about the different kings is that the kings that were faithful to God in worship and, you know, um, and the way they rule, um, ruled with um, saw prosperity and saw God helping them, God strengthening them, God saving them. They won wars and stuff like that. And those kings that um, that rejected God and didn't want to worship God, we we see that actually they didn't succeed. And some of them died a terrible disease and and things nasty things happened and and you know they ended up going to slavery and different things went on and you know so we see this going throughout the book. Um, but I'm going to look at Hezekiah. Um, 
So Hezekiah was a young man um, who is now king, decided that he was going to open the doors of the temple. So the king before him wasn't a very good king. He decided that, that he just didn't want to worship God. He wasn't going to rule with God's plans and laws and, and be obedient to God. He wanted to do his own thing. And, and he actually um, misused the temple and got rid of all the articles and used them for idol worship and things like that. And so Ezekiah decided, I'm right, I'm going to open the doors to the people. I'm going to sanctify the temple. I'm going to get it ready so that we can come and worship God here. Um, the story of Hezekiah um, is like, like chapter 28 to 32. And I'm not going to read all of it, so don't worry. But I'm going to read a big chunk. And so if you can turn to 2 Chronicles 30, um, we can read together. So Ezekiah 30, verse 31. I'm going to read to chapter 31, verse 1. So from verse 30, from chapter 30. Verse 1. Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. The king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate it at the regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. The plan seemed right both to the king and to the whole assembly. They decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Bathsheba to Dan, calling the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. It had not been celebrated in large numbers according to what was written. written. So Ezekiah really sent out his people to go and do a leaflet drop in all of Israel and the whole of the, the, all of the regions of, you know, the north and the south. And what we've got to remember at the moment is that actually um, there was a division between the people, between the north and the south. There were divided kingdoms. And um, in fact, sometimes they were at war with each other. But Ezekiah saw something about that actually there's something really powerful that when we all come together as one people to worship God, there's something really significant about that. And so his heart wasn't just for himself and his, his kingdom, but actually he reached out to, to the northern kingdoms and, and asked them to come and worship God, come and find God. So we carry on in verse 6, it says... At the king's command, couriers went through Israel and Judah with letters from the king and from his officials, which read, People of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, that he may return to you who are left, who have who have escaped from the hands of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your parents and your fellow Israelites who who were unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their ancestors, so that he may he made them an object of horror, as you see. Do not be stiff-necked as your ancestors were. Submit to the Lord. Come to his sanctuary, which is being consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God so that his fierce anger will turn away from you. If you return to the Lord, then your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. 
You know, we can ask God, can't we, to help us to reach out to people. You know, people need to know that actually God is compassionate. God is gracious, that God loves them, that God has got a plan and a purpose for them, that God's plan and purpose isn't for them to be in captivity. But actually, when we come to God, when we come to worship him, we find freedom, we are set free, we are healed. And you know, we have this message that we can take to people um, when we go. You know, I love what Odette said earlier about how, that God is mighty to save. You know, God is mighty to save whatever situation we find ourselves in whatever situation our friends relatives or our neighbors we are in it's not too much for God because God is mighty to save um, verse 10 the couriers went on from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh and as far as Zebulun but people scorned and ridiculed them nevertheless some of some from Asher, Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. A very large crowd of people assembled in Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread in the second month. They removed the altars in Jerusalem and cleared away the incense, incense altars and threw them into the Kidron Valley. Verse 17. Since many in the crowd had not consecrated themselves, the Levites had to kill the Passover lambs for all those who were not ceremonially clean and could not consecrate their lambs to the Lord. Although most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun had not purified themselves, yet ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Ezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the Lord who is good pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And even if they're not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Ezekiah and healed the people. The Israelites who were present in Jerusalem celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing, while the Levites and priests praised the Lord every day with resounding instruments dedicated to the Lord. Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good understanding of the service of the Lord. For the seven days they ate their assigned portion and offered fellowship offerings and praised the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Verse 25, the entire assembly of Judah rejoiced along with the priests and the Levites and all who had assembled from Israel, including the foreigners who had come from Israel and also those who resided in Judah. There was a great joy in Jerusalem for since the days of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, there'd been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people and God heard them for the prayer reached heaven, his holy dwelling place. Verse 1, 31. When all this had ended, the Israelites who were there went out to the towns of Judah, smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. They destroyed the high places and the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin, Ephraim and Manasseh. After they had destroyed all of them, the Israelites returned to their towns and to their own property. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? When we read that story, we see how 
that actually there was something really powerful about coming and worshipping God. We see people's lives transformed, transformed in such a way that they wanted to get rid of all their altars and incense poles or, I don't know, all the Asherah poles and things like that. All the things that they worshipped, um, they got rid of it. You know, when we come to God, you know, God wants to challenge us and, and say, you know, that actually maybe there's things in our hearts, maybe there's things in our lives that um, we need to get rid of and it's only when we come into the presence of God that actually God starts speaking to us about the things in our lives and it might not be Asherah poles or gold golden calves that we've got in our cupboards at home but actually it might be other things that God is saying do you know what these things are a hindrance to to um, your worship to me these are a hindrance to our connection of of the thing of you becoming all that God wants you to be you know when he asks us to get rid of those things you know the couriers they went from town to town you know and it wasn't easy for them you know they were ridiculed they were scorned and you know and it is hard isn't it to to go and tell people about the love of God and tell them that that God's got a plan for them that Jesus loves them and you know because sometimes people do think that's funny or ridiculous and you know and silly but what was really interesting about this story is that actually they kept on going and so many people came to the festival. So many people heard that message. And despite the ones that scorned them and ridiculed them, that actually there were those people that heard and their lives were turned around. You know, sometimes we feel like our mouths are glued together, you know, and it's so hard. But actually when we push through that, we have no idea what God is doing in people's lives. And that actually we can go and speak, tell people about his love and about his grace. You know, and who knows? they might say actually do you know what I have these questions myself um, you know so we should go we should go and tell people about God you know in Matthew 9 verse 37 to 38 you know Jesus says to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out the labourers into the harvest. You know, we are the labourers. So we need to be praying for ourselves and asking God, God, help me. I want to go out there and bring the harvest in. I want to go out there and tell people about your love. And I want people to encounter you and actually be set free. I don't want people to be in captivity like I used to be. I want them to experience this freedom and this love that I experience when I come to you. You know, um, um, there was a bit in that passage about Kidron Valley, you know, they, they threw their altars into Kidron Valley, they smashed them and, and all of that. And Kidron Valley is quite an interesting place. And, and if you read about it, you can see that actually, um, it was actually quite a dark place. Um, it was a place that King David you crossed when um, he was just trying to escape from his wicked son, Absalom. It was a place where King Asa burned the pagan idols and Asherah poles. It was, was where the evil queen who killed all her grandchildren um, was execu executed. It was a major cemetery for the common people. So actually, it was probably quite a spooky place. Um, you know, if you didn't want to have something that um, to be in the holy place where the temple was, then you would just put it in Kedron Valley. That's where it would go. You know, um, 
You know, and I was thinking about, you know, all these people going off to the temple to worship God, they're off to Jerusalem, and, you know, and they got to go through Kedron Valley. And I was thinking, oh, you know, if you've got your kids, you'd be like grabbing the hand and like, come on, don't dawdle, let's go quickly. You know, and the kids saying, well, can we have a picnic? Can we stop? I'm tired. Like, no, no, we're getting through here. You know, and this was a place that we just wouldn't stop. You just, it was a place that you'd have to go through. It was between um, the Mount of Olives and the temple. And so if you were at the Mount of Olives and you want to get to the temple, you had to go to, through Kidron Valley. You know, sometimes I think it's quite painful going to God to worship, you know, because of things in our lives, things that we've, we've, you know, we've just not dealt with. Maybe, you know, there's things that God is asking us to deal with. Maybe there's issues of unforgiveness in our hearts or, or maybe we struggle with um, fear or anxiety and, and there's something that's stopping us from going to that place of meeting with God and, and we just find, I just don't know if I can go for that place. I don't know if I can do that. You know, and um, but actually God is calling us to do that because actually when we get to the temple, we have this amazing experience. And there's a story in Luke 19 verse 28 where it talks about where Jesus has his disciples to go and get him a donkey. And then he sits on the donkey and he rides through Kedron Valley on the donkey. And while he's riding through the Kedron Valley on the donkey, people are worshipping him, saying he is um, the king and the, in the highest, the Lord of Lords. And they're all worshipping him and, and, um, and all of that. And, and it's this triumphant procession of Jesus going through Kedron Valley. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking, yeah, that sounds just right. You know, these things that are holding us back to come into God and saying to God, you know, come in to have that closeness with God, the things that are stopping us, the things that are holding back, that actually Jesus has been triumphant over all of that. He has processed over all of that. He is the king over all of that. He is the king of our fear. He is the king of our anxiety. He is the thing, king of all the worries and all the stress. And even the unforgiveness in our hearts that actually he conquered all of that that actually we can come to him and we can lay at his feet and say you are the king I lay at your feet and I let you deal with it you know letting things go um, that make us feel comfortable that makes us feel safe can be really really difficult and but when we come to God he helps us he gives us the victory you know, it might be that actually we're going through some circumstance or difficulty and, you know, and it's really, really difficult. And we say, we say to God, God, I find this really, really hard. You know, it, someone brought a word in it saying about actually God doesn't mind our mess. He's okay about our mess. We can go to God and say, God, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really finding this hard. That actually this is causing me pain, God, and I don't know how to deal with it. And we can go to God like that, and we can talk to God like that. And when we come to him with our hearts open, our, our arms lifted to him, he reaches in and he touches us. He gives us what we need. He strengthens us. He gives us the wisdom. He gives us the courage. He heals us. He sets us free. You know, and we, we can come to him. and We can rely on him. Um, 
you know, and it may be that um, it doesn't take you out of your circumstance. It may be that the fear, that the thing that you're fearing doesn't change. It may be that, that whatever it is doesn't change. But you know what? God will give you the strength to get through that. God will give you what you need to get through that. Give you the right people around you to help you to get through that. Because God hears your cries. God hears your prayers when you pray to him. You know, he's calling us to humble ourselves before him. You know, just like the kings that we can read about in Chronicles, that when they humble themselves before God, they're met with God. God is calling us to humble ourselves to him, to lay our lives to him, to put our trust in him. And so often we, we find it difficult to, to put our trust in God. And, but actually, we can remember that actually God is sat on his throne. That God is a God who's righteous and just. And he loves us. He loves us. And he sees everything. And so when we put our trust in him, when we look to him and we, we adore him and we, and we just worship him, that actually he is in control. And all the things that we're worried about, all the things that we're concerned about, we can say to God, God, I'm just giving that to you. I'm just going to trust you, God. I don't know how it's going to change. I don't know how it's going to um, be different. Um, but God, I'm just going to trust you. I'm just going to put my hope in you. Now God is calling every single one of us to reconcile our own hearts continually in worship to God. No, not just on a Sunday or occasionally, but actually our hearts should be continually in worship towards him. The way we live our lives, the way we speak to one another, the way we, we deal with our finances, the way we treat our husbands, the way we treat our wives, the way we treat our children. All this is worship to God when we're being obedient to him. Now God is calling every single one of us to do that. I love worshipping God. I love worshipping God in this situation. I love worshipping God on my own. And I love expressing my worship through actually trying to live my life the way God wants me to live my life. And so not only is God calling us to live our life like that as, as a, a sacrifice of worship to him, but he's calling us to, to include other people into that as well, to, for them to experience that as well, for us to share our faith with people so that they can encounter God in the same way that we encounter God. And so that is our calling on our lives, that we are, you know, it's just uh, like our strap line for the church, isn't it? That we are loved lovers, loving others. And that is who we are, you know, as we worship God, as we love God, and that as we are loved by him and be obedient to him, you know, we can be a real blessing to people around us. Okay, thank you.